Welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast, where we give you a free glimpse of one of our amazing webinars or conferences. You can check out one of our full sessions and get a 50% discount by using the code FEPODCAST at fundraisingeverywhere.com. Yeah, go to fundraisingeverywhere.com and use the code FEPODCAST to get 50% off any of our tickets. Fundraising everywhere. 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 You need to add me in there. Let's first of all let's bring on Mr. John Tasker from Massive. Here we've got Gareth Mulcahy, we've got Sophie Randalls, and then Susie Eddington. Eddington. Yes, got it. <laughs> Hello, everyone. How are you? Good. Thank you. Hey, Simon. Hello. Yeah. Hello, hello. Is everyone holding it together in these, um, what are we, in year two of, of a global pandemic or year three? I'm not even sure anymore. Everyone, everyone coping? Yeah. It's quiet trying to yeah. find things to do, really. <laughs> very good all right what i want what i want to do straight away because i mean i think we're going to end up referencing um um the report that comes from massive and blackboard uh this virtual um fundraising monitor so john i wouldn't mind just getting an idea of what what is this report that you guys put out there and 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 what is what's the importance of us keeping the finger on the pulse of what's happening out there in fundraising got you so we kind of produce a report or it was a new report for us that we started uh, in 2020 and essentially it was there's always been virtual events but because you know the, the world was going crazy all physical events were were stopped and were pivoting what we wanted to do was a couple of things really one was to find out what's happening but also to kind of share the learning so we could get those out quickly so people who had to pivot or were looking at new ways of kind of making making mass fundraising work could understand what was working for others and could kind of learn from that uh, and, and make the most of it. So we, we did that last year and it was, was from all intents, from what we hear was quite useful, which is great to hear. And then obviously one year on, what we wanted to do was kind of have a little bit of update of what's happening in that market, but also as physical events start to come back uh, in the back end of this year, what effect they were having and, and what how that was sort of changing the market and demand and all the rest of it. Very good. Well, it's very it's very useful. I mean, I love these kind of reports that you can delve into and just see what else is going on in the sector. And you guys and and just giving and Blackboard have always been very good at putting that stuff out. Susie, you guys at just giving you have your you have your finger in the pulse because you see lots of fundraisers setting up things. What is the vibe that's happening in terms of people pivoting? Like, are we are we moving out of it or is it still What's your feeling? Away from virtual, you think? Yeah, I mean, is it is there going to be a healthy balance in the future, or are, still, are people still very much fundraising virtually? Because I mean, in fairness, we're not out of it; it's not finished. Yeah, I think that's the big point, and that's the big sort of unknown for twenty twenty two, really, isn't it? Is what what we have seen is every time we go into a lockdown, we see a increase in DIY fundraising and a decrease in charity organised fundraising, and that's exactly what we saw through this year. So early on in the spring. 
lots of DIY fundraising, which is great. People going out and doing whatever they want to do to fundraise for charities. Some of that sort of driven by charities, but a lot off people's own backs. And then as we've come out of lockdown, we've seen the uplift of physical events coming back. Um, and a lot of the ones that have really driven the market through the summer were very much treks and walks. There were some great successes with that. And then as we go through to the autumn, obviously the autumn uh, running events have come back and performed well as well. Um, looking forward to 2022, I do think we will see both. I think we'll see a balance mm-hmm. of both happening. Virtual events have been around, God, 20 plus years. They're not going anywhere. I think it's just going to be about finding that balance and also the right audience for each of those. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you talk about virtual events being around for a long time. In a lot of people's heads, they they only got invented two years ago, didn't they? But that's not <laughs> the case, is it? Like they, This was happening way before that. On my first, when I first started in the charity, I started in the charity down in Sussex uh, 15 years ago and I walked into the local swimming pool and I saw a flyer for Aspire's Channel Swim in there and I was like, God, that's a great idea. I wish I'd thought of that. And that had been around for years before I'd started in fundraising. So no, it's absolutely not a new idea. It's yeah, just yeah. been really off last year. Very good. All right. I want to I wanna uh, talk to Gareth and Sophie about what your year looked like because as a you know i'm a i'm a um a recovering fundraiser i'm very very rarely on the ground anymore i'm a broken fundraiser but in terms of you guys who are in the charities what did your year look like this year maybe sophie will start with you how 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 was the royal british legion coping and what was going on so we were really bullish actually um I believe quite fervently that if you've got supporters who want to do events, they want to raise money for the course that they love through doing events, then it's our job to make those events happen by hook or by crook. So we um, we ended up actually being one of the first to go out with um, with mass participation live events. So back in May, before the rule of six had been lifted, we successfully delivered a cycling sportif for over 400 participants up in Staffordshire. And we got, um, in September, we, we got 120 cyclists to Paris, Pedals Paris event, even though both countries were on each other's amber lists. So, wow. so we've been going for it. And actually this year's actually felt relatively normal in terms of the, the portfolio of live events we've delivered. We couldn't take people to the Arctic Challenge in Sweden. Um, we couldn't get to Belgium because that was closed to British. But apart from that, actually, we've been we've been going for it, and not without its you know challenges in terms of cons- consistently checking the rules and checking what we can do, and what we can't do. Um, but yeah, so we've we've gone ahead with it. Obviously, we've we've upweighted our virtual slash pack led offering as well. Um, I would say because we got in there early earlier in the year, we've done quite well with our live events. The pack led yeah. slash virtual space is so crowded um and i would say also what we've just experienced we do um during remembrance we do some 5k family fun runs normally we're the only people stupid enough to be putting on fun runs in november but actually oh my god everybody's got half marathons marathons ultras and so we've we've really felt the pinch in terms of the the competition this autumn as the entire season's been squeezed Yeah. yeah so yeah good year for us actually weirdly yeah that i mean well that's very reassuring favors the bowl doesn't it and that, that's yeah you're kind, kind of almost embarrassed to say that it's, it's, <laughs> wasn't it but uh, are you getting like in general do your supporters and your fundraisers your volunteer fundraisers are they asking a lot of questions about this or are they just kind of following your lead and doing you know if you say it's happening it's happening or are you that's do, a great question yeah that's a great question it was it's just vitally important to bring them with you and this is where the importance of really good stewardship comes in you've got to have those personal relationships it's not good enough just to have a big triggered email journey you've got to be speaking to people you've got to be listening to what their concerns are weirdly the the standard perennial issues were 
with the worries that people had. They're worried about their, how they were going to fundraise during the pandemic and they're worried about how they were going to train. Fundraising and training are the two worries that any events participant has anyway. So as long as you're meeting those needs and you're, you're bringing them on that journey, actually, they will trust you to do the right thing in terms of event delivery and COVID. COVID yeah. didn't even come up as an issue. What we are coming up against now for overseas events, those are opening up, is the vaccination issue. Um, that not everybody wants to get vaccinated and that's a personal choice, but that does mean they can't come on your event and that that that's causing us some problems at the minute. That's interesting. That's not even what I thought of. And I'm not yeah. I'm not gonna go down the rabbit hole of No, don't get drawn in. <laughs> Gareth, what's your opinion on vaccines? No, Gareth, what what's your year look like? What's um, what's it been like for you guys? Well, I I think it's um uh it's been a really challenging year. So the first statistic that sort of draws it out is for our race for life series i think we we're on our fourth set of dates it's the last time we delivered the series so and race for life is such a beast it's 170 venues 450 odd events etc so it's a big oil tanker to move when you have to move it so yeah. there's a lot of repetition of doing and loads of stakeholders to keep up to date so it's been very challenging to keep the ducks in a row right the way across the piece um and in our world the challenge of all the activity in the charity trying to schedule that in when you're moving big event series is, is really difficult mm. um so it's not only the external market you're trying to fit things in and around and trying to make it work it's also the the internal activity as well so balancing that has been a big challenge mm. i would say similar to sophie we were boldly wanted to uh deliver the series all our activity in in 2021 and i would say more than any year we had to really closely watch volume levels income rates and everything else so i think in the end we only had to cancel something like seven events because of volume lack of volume and actually uh, like else, how many would you be running in a year generally? uh out of well best part of 500 events wow yeah uh, and what we actually saw because obviously we, we ran concurrently so we ran a race for life series our shine events our big hike events also ran our third party activities so we're about 180 third party events as well um and they all ran. So that's why I look like this, because uh, I'm only 27. Um, but it just, it was, it, uh, what we did notice with volume is the further you got into autumn, the more they recovered. So the August events ran on a bit of a wing and a prayer. But mm -hmm. I think it's been really useful for the organisation because in terms of taking risks through the pandemic, we've had to take risks and take steps into the unknown. And actually that's probably good culturally to actually we're going forward and some of the decisions we're going to make and saying do you boil the ocean to try and get a number that everyone agrees on or do you take a step and say we're going to test and learn around this and mm. we're moving much more into that space which is a healthy space to be in to be honest it seems like that's a common theme i've heard from a number of charities it's like covid forced them to do things that they were like hoping or wanted to do or been meaning to do for ages not only uh you know taking those innovative steps and trying new things and 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 you know exploring other options but even cutting out 
events and and items that they they didn't potentially you know that weren't really working but they just never got around to cutting out so it seems to be like i dare i say there's some benefits to this that it's like it's making people work a bit smarter john you, you've got you've got an, an eye on kind of a lot of different organizations through your reporting and through the work you do what's what's the general consensus are people like gareth and sophie or are there are different differing opinions I mean, I don't think anybody's really like Gareth and Sophie, are they? Um, <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that seems that seems pretty typical. I think Gareth talked about the demand being sort of not as strong in in August, but it kind of building back. I, I think we're seeing that across all charities, physical events, and also beyond charities. You know, those big rights holders. Like I think you're talking to London Marathon later on uh, in the other room, but those guys. It, it feels like there's a kind of segment of the population who are, were desperate to get back to it completely okay with any risks or whatever mm -hmm. and they were there and then i think it's sort of chipping away at the others who now feel reassured and safe so i think as we get close you know as we progress through the year and into next year i think we'll be almost i don't think we'll get back to 100 percent of people you know you know the vaccines and all sorts of issues shows that you know there's plenty of different views out there but it feels like a high 90 percent of people will be kind of back and ready in terms of doing events uh ready for next year and i think the survey that we we did i think it's 95 or 96 percent of people who had of charities that had physical events are planning to bring them back next year yeah so, so, it's so kind of across the sector it feels like we're going in one direction almost hoping business as usual and and do you th yeah. do you think do you think there's any like permanent changes in in not only the way we we run these things, but just in the mindset of people, like uh, has anything permanently changed in people's heads about how they approach real life events? I mean, I don't know what the other thing, I don't, it's a bit early to say what, what's a permanent change, but I think mm. the fact that a lot of people have, have been acquired through virtual events, I think they start to have different expectations, particularly around stewardship about online groups. And, you know, if I can't do it physically, can I do it virtually? So I think, they're almost the kind of positives that we'll take from it that we've learned how to acquire people over here that they, they expect a certain standard, they expect certain services. So how do we kind of roll that into what physical events and real life events look like kind of going forward to make sure that we don't just go back to as things were, but kind of progress and learn from what we've been through. Yeah, like that. hopefully that both virtual and real life will kind of evolve from this strange period where we've kind of been forced to test new things and try new things. I, I think they will evolve, and I think I think Susie mentioned it. It's, no, not, neither will go away. I don't think virtual will, you know, mean that physical won't come back, or physical coming back will impact virtual. You know, I think they'll both exist, and it's just how a good balanced fundraising portfolio will have both in. Mm. And I think it's understanding the strengths of, of strengths and weaknesses of each, and kind of mm. making them work. So uh, as we look at it. You know, through virtual events, people in our survey, you know, they've acquired 350,000 supporters doing things. Generally, you know, a lot of those are new to the organization. They've come from a physical, they've come predominantly for the activity. It's physical based. So as you start to retain those people, where do you take them next? Mm. Clearly, there are donation and places you can take them, but a logical, it seems like a big opportunity is to take them through to a physical event where, you know, you're going to have more chance of retaining them year on year and you're going to drive a higher value from them. So I think it's kind of where both sit in a balanced portfolio that will be the interesting one. I think, I think that's really important. I might unpack that a little bit. Susie, I'm going to ask you about this first. 
but that fundraising portfolio you know the fundraising mix is so important because I, I always feel like every form of fundraising works to some extent and our fundraiser's job is not to not to not to push just one but actually to find the right balance between them to find the most cost effective the best roi in that mix so so i'd love i'd love to get all of your opinions on on the fundraisers who are watching this and and remember a lot of our audience are generally solo fundraisers or fundraisers in a small organization who have very finite time although we all have very limited time where do you begin in starting to understand what that mix looks like on a very practical level? Where is, is it led by the donors completely or should you be kind of pushing some of your time into virtual and the majority of it into real life? Or where does that balance sit? Susie, do you have any thoughts on that? I think, firstly, I think it's really important to say a lot of the charities that I've spoken to over the last 18 months when we're looking at the, well, especially probably in 2020, a lot of charities were rolling out new virtual events or they were pivoting to virtual. And they were expecting to get the same audiences through the door for a physical event and a virtual event. And almost all of the ones I spoke to, and it was a completely new audience. And the people we had on the physical had no interest in doing the virtual. They were like, now nah, we'll hold on until you can do a proper event again. Yeah. So they're two completely different audiences. Absolutely, you've got to start upselling. You know, it's a great opportunity to recruit new people to support the charities. But this is why I don't think they they don't cannibalize each other in the way that I think that there was concerns that they might. I think they are mm. quite different audiences. You know, as a virtual, you can do it in your own time. You know, I'm a single mom, full time working. I, you know, I can't necessarily come on that weekend when you've got that event happening, but I can go out and run what in my own time and things like that so I think that we've got to appreciate the very different audiences and I think that that's where it should start from you should need to understand your audience and their needs and then look at what you can develop to try and make sure you're ticking those boxes or the audience that you want to get in as well as the other thing I know especially a lot of charities have older audiences this is a great opportunity to bring in new younger fresher audiences into mm. the charity so from my perspective I think it needs to be really audience led and then the stewardship the onward itself from there has to build on that you can't just start pushing people around to various different things you need to understand what they want to do next and i think i think what you're saying there about them not cannibalizing each other i mean i think us at fundraising everywhere we would be firmly in agreement with that like i i like going to fundraising conferences i love traveling to fundraising conferences but i'm not going to be going to one every week you know i can't afford to go to every one week i'm a single parent i don't have the time to do it so it's like there is a place for each one depending on a person's circumstances depending on the timing depending on the content and i guess as fundraisers our job is to try and tap into that and understand our audience a little bit so sophie what's your thoughts and, and royal british legion how do you view the two sitting together and do you agree with this that they don't cannibalize each other or how do you decide what what you do you seem like you seem like a woman who loves uh, in person events yeah but you read me like a book yeah <laughs> yeah but i think just going back to that point um that has already been made that that importance of a balanced portfolio even if you're a lone fundraiser in a tiny organization it's really important not to put all your eggs in one basket there's one thing we've learned through covid yeah balance is everything and i would say within the live event area those organizations that were relying heavily on third-party events really struggled because they have no control over what was happening um whereas those of us who who have a portfolio with a lot more of our own staff were masters of our own destiny a little bit so i think even within live events having you know having some supporter-led events and some some stuff you're doing that's live yourself a mixture of special and challenge if you can um the, on the cannibaliza cannibalization piece, really mm. interesting. Um, absolutely, totally agree. It's different audiences. I think 
we we've we've had um sort of two streams of our poppy run 5k family fun run for about four years now where you can do your own one at home my poppy run in your own space in your own time um and we do our 5k family fun runs traditionally the 5k runs in a park have been our focus last year we pivoted obviously completely to my poppy run worked really close with the guys at just giving who bent over backwards to get us live on their new platform which was fantastic that was great what we've found now is we don't really know which event we should give precedence to and, and where they are in a hierarchy and actually what we've learned this year is they are different events they appear to different audiences to susie's point we shouldn't be marketing in the same place in the same space we shouldn't be saying hey come to an event or you know if you can't do that then there's always this as a second class op option it's hmm. not actually for a lot of people that's the primary thing that they much prefer to do so i think there's something about don't this don't try and try and cram things together that don't fit um treat them as separate propositions treat them as separate audiences market them differently market them separately and don't try and and yeah cram cram it together because i just don't think yeah a 5k run in a park is the same as a 5k run with your mates whenever you can manage it yeah it's not the same thing yeah and some and some of us don't want to see anyone. We don't want to go. We don't want to spend right. time with any people. So it's you, like you weird introverts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I I think that's that's really interesting point about um, them be, being two very different products. And I'm, we're going to talk about hybrid in a second. I'm going to I'm going to mm. first of all ask Gareth the same question, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about hybrid. Mm -hmm. But it it is like some people see virtual as like we talk about the camera at the back of the room that it's just trying to capture the real life event, but that's bad virtual in 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 kind of our opinion is it, it's it's you're trying to just take the the existing thing and plonk it into people's houses and it doesn't work it is two events and what you're saying about marketing it actually very separately to two different audiences mm. that's a really really interesting point i like that mm. gareth what, what's what's your thoughts on it all um well we pivoted like everyone else to do our race for life at home we also had a product called a very 2020 race for life um because of the challenges last year uh, totally agree it's a completely different audience i i think one of the challenges always with a um smaller charity or individual fundraiser is just time and resource yeah. to be able to dive into completely separating audiences, completely separating marketing campaigns. And certainly for efficiencies in our world, we are putting the virtual offering um, around the same time as the physical events next year. And the analogy I would use would be um, the Netflix analogy of serving it at a time of your choice versus going down the cinema and watching it in the big screen with everybody else. Mm. And actually those two can actually coexist. And I think um, we are maximizing our, our limited marketing budgets in terms of calling out. I mean, the, the benefit of Race for Life is we have multiple options of taking part in race anyway. There's whether you have 5K, 10K, it's pretty muddy. So I think you have to cut your cloth accordingly. And the optimum world would be separate audiences, separate market journeys, separate thing. But trying to sort of manage that within the resources you've got is certainly a challenge. And even, you know, a, a charity the size of CRUK is having to make those kind of calls in amongst all the other things we're trying to do to recover from, from the pandemic. So that's our mm -hmm. approach. But certainly, um, historically, we would have been worried about cannibalizing the main event series, whereas now we're absolutely not and it's serving a different audience within 
the, the main activity. You, you can tell me if this is a silly question, but do, do supporters contact you? Do they know? Do they know they want virtual or they want real life if they want to fundraise for you? Or is there some element where a charity can steer people because they don't really know what they want? Like how how decisive are our fundraising? I, I think the way we look at our acquisition marketing is that gets people just to the front door of the website and the website's got to do the heavy lifting in terms of explaining what it is, how mm. you can kind of get involved. Um, and to a greater lesson, oh, there's some websites outside there are brilliant at explaining products really simply. And there are others that clutter up and it's too internal focused. They're delivering messages that make sense to the organization, but not the audience. Mm. And uh, that is an absolute watch out. Our internal assumptions are, we constantly challenge ourselves on that. I mean, the biggest one of all is race for life should be women only. And we held that belief for 20 years until we, we decided not to. And oh, look, lots of men want to take part. So That's interesting. I didn't know that. Is that, yeah. that it was very much positioned as a women's only product in the past? Yeah, yeah over, over 20. That was a USP of race for life huh. until over 70% of the general public didn't know it was our USP, which kind of highlights, <laughs> actually, is it a USP? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's for, it's that it's that kind of fundraising mantra of, well, that won't work here, or that won't work for our organization, and that won't, yeah, there's always yeah. famous last words, isn't it? Yeah, exactly right. So um, it, it's challenging those assumptions for all your marketing. Front door of your website needs to do the heavy lifting if you're trying to explain what your product is. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and, and that, it's like, I, I found it really interesting over COVID, like my mum set 70 ish and just her ad adoption of virtual stuff, you know, in terms of virtual dance classes, in terms of virtual things. And again, it's like conventionally, you know, she doesn't really know how to use a lot of the technology, but actually when she's kind of forced to do it now, I think there is an element of it that will stick, you know, I think it will stay with us. So. COVID yeah. gave us a massive reset. It gave bandwidth for virtual products. So all the loud, shanty physical events had to get out of the way. And I think there's going to be a, a, a real change in the market and people's understanding of how to use technology as part of their fundraising going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of interesting comments in the in the chat box. Mandy has said, it's so true. We've seen different, more people engage virtually with us who haven't ever committed to an in-person event. I think that's uh, that's really important. I mean, obviously, we uh, fundraising everywhere. We do a lot of work with um, charities on their virtual stuff, and and it's amazed me that that some charities who who deal with you know very vulnerable people or people with disabilities who can't travel or people with you know long term illness that can't be around people that they never offered a virtual option. And for me, it just seems like a real no brainer now that this should be a permanent thing. Um, Sarah has said, "What has Sarah said?" We are tiny, but have just launched our gala for next year. We're already ahead of where we normally are for booking and with a totally different new audience. Super excited about it. So there's, there are some positive stuff that's coming out of this, and, and it just seems to be, to be reshaping, reshaping a lot of fundraising mixes. Um, John, I want to ask you a little bit about hybrid. I think hybrid is a very difficult, seems to be a difficult area that no one can really fully agree what it actually is or what it looks like. What's the, what's the thoughts from the people you've spoken to and within your report? What what is what is what is hybrid going to look like next year? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Isn't it? We kind of throw the word hybrid around and then think afterwards, what does that actually mean? Uh, 
and we're probably as guilty as that as anybody else. I think for me, there's probably three ways that we're seeing it working. The first is a bit like you said, that sort of camera in the room. So there's, and a good example would be the kind of virtual London Marathon that people are taking part in a place. You can take part at the same time in a, in a venue of your choice. We're seeing some discussion around bringing virtual and physical, physical together in that almost you kind of do something for 29 days or you do, you know, 90 kilometers and then you come together with others to kind of finish that so whether it's training or you do that virtual and then come together to celebrate the mm. end of that journey uh, to be honest i hear more about that than i actually see of it mm. i think what's more common is and it probably builds on what both gareth and sophie have said of it, it just becomes in a series almost another or within uh, an event's brand another flavor so another so it's you can do race for life at these 15 venues or you can do it the virtual version and it's almost kind of another product beneath that kind of sub brand another way to kind of enjoy that event and mm. I, my sense is long term that that's probably where the hybrids will sit whether that counts as a full hybrid or not i don't know but I, that's my sense of where it'll sit well I, th I think we can once and for all define it here and then it'll be locked in forever and no one can disagree but i love that i love that idea and i haven't hadn't even considered it where people are perhaps off doing their own challenges but it almost like comes to comes together at the end as like running into the giant stadium you know that metaphorical stadium that everyone's together and i like that idea where there's kind of a culmination so you get the best of both worlds and that would be an interesting but like you said i don't i haven't seen it like that um but maybe we'll see uh, Susie, what about what about you? What do you what, what's your thinking on the hybrid? I'm, I'm not sure it it particularly um, works for the just giving users because they're either one or the other generally. But have you got a sense of what you think your charity clients and the charities you work with are thinking? I think, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it'll be one to watch for next year, definitely. I think what we've seen in the virtual space is a lot of like month, week long sorts of challenge. We've seen less or less successful ones, which are like go and do a 5K, go and do a 10K on your own. That is quite a lot about the experience on the day and things like that. And it's much harder. I actually did. I was doing CRUK's winter run uh, in 2019 and it got cancelled because of the weather. And then I went and did it around Tootin Common and pretended there were polar bears shouting at me, but there wasn't, and it just wasn't the same experience at all. Are you having a go at Gareth? Are you, are you <laughs> trying to call oh, Gareth? Yeah, more control of the weather's terrible, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I, did, I danced around a little rugby tots were having a great time laughing at me, but um, it's a very different experience that you're giving people on virtual and with a physical event. I think the other thing that's worth mentioning with it is that you get different fundraising patterns with it. So when we talk to you about doing a half marathon, you want to be recruiting people six months out for that. And you want to tell them to start fundraising straight away. And the higher, the earlier they start fundraising, the more they're going to raise. With virtuals, we've seen the opposite happen, especially for those sort of month, week long challenges. The people that sign up in the last two weeks are going to be your best fundraisers. They don't necessarily have to train yeah the event so they just go roll straight into it people that sign up six weeks eight weeks in advance forget about it i don't know why it is but they don't necessarily start fundraising they don't start the challenge so you want to go recruit the majority of people really close to that event period and then obviously your stewardship has to be much more condensed you've got to be really talking to them lots over that period social groups facebook groups become really important to try and build up that experience so you've got people doing two different things in their fundraising. So I think just making sure that you're aware that their behaviours are going to be different and making sure you're stewarding accordingly. You can't steward them both the same. Wow, that's really interesting about the timing in terms of those last two week people. 
it's like it kind of goes against almost goes against everything we know in terms of physical events it really is it's been a difficult one to tell charities because my instinct from working in events and fundraising is that you've got to start them early but actually for virtuals for those month week-long challenges certainly the ones that come through last minute are your best fundraisers can, can i just add a little bit of insight there yeah. from my world on, on to, to other that i agree with the half marathons and everything absolutely but certainly in terms of our delivered events or so 5k 10k and everything else before pandemic we saw a trend of people uh entering later and fundraising later and this year more than ever uh people are fundraising the week of the event because they don't actually know whether it's going to take part yeah so mm. that is a trend right the way across our, all our portfolio this year is they're entering later and never and fundraising even later i mean our income per head changed for one event by over 130 quid in a week just wow. because so there's significant changes in it. so you've got to hold your nerve basically <laughs> it's just that things have become so uncertain isn't it that people just put put off yeah. travel plans put off dinner plans put a fundraising plan everything is kind of pushed down the road a little bit now yeah. which is not not good for us as fundraisers is it? it's not good for our, us drawing up our budgets and projections and how do, how do you mitigate that gareth can you mitigate that at all is it just about having if you have a consistent series of events it's kind of balancing things out or is there anything you do to calm your nerves i i think you need to take a, a midterm view of performance and not in year and actually it's part of a a multi-year approach and you're going to get some things right and you get some things wrong. It comes back to my earlier point about risks and actually be more comfortable. And obviously there's a limit to what risks you can take, but hopefully your boards are more aware of the environment you're operating in and you just signal when things are more gray in certain areas than others. And uh, we've been really fortunate that we've taken some calculated gambles that have absolutely paid off. But it's not well, easy. Are, are people's boards aware of what's going on, or are they? Aren't they like on Richard Branson's island, just kind of barking <laughs> orders at fundraisers? Or you know, do, do board members understand any of this stuff? <laughs> yeah, that's a really great question, isn't it? I think, and I, I think this is true of, of charities that are large and small. There's an addiction, isn't there, to in-year income and in-year ROI, and what we're we doing this year. How are you guys looking this year? And mm. actually, that's incredibly short-sighted because it means that you there's a disincentive to invest and to test and learn because you 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 don't have room to fail because for every pound you spend you've got to raise another three somewhere else so yeah that that i think covid has taught us that again that the in-year isn't necessarily king is it we can we can try a bunch of stuff and actually come out much better off mm. um but but the, yeah that's a tricky thing to land with um yeah with with boards and finance committees and whatnot because they're just so used to working in one way and i think as a as a sort of events fundraising industry if you like we need to work together to try and land that message with our leadership across the board yeah, mm. I yeah. Like that. all right so we're, we're coming towards the end of this but what i want to do is go around to everyone again the 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 a theme of this event is kind of looking back and moving forward so looking back at what we've learned this year and 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 deciding how that influences what you know what we do next year so i want to ask each of you what is the kind of main thing that you maybe have taken from this last year um, um and it can be you know it can be specifically around this event fundraising the virtual site or it can be something completely wild card if you want what's the one thing that you're kind of taking away from this 
um, that you would say to our viewers and our attendees about next year? Like, what do we need to be doing differently going into next year? And and Susie, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask you first. What do you what What's the big lesson that stuck stuck with you in the last year? I think that looking forwards to next year, what we're going to see is an even busier marketplace. We're going to have physical events coming back. We're going to have owned charity events coming back. We're going to have third party. We're going to have virtual. We're going to have DIY. And I think, and then there's changes in cookie policies and Facebook marketing and things like this. And it's harder to track and understand your marketing than ever. And I think that having a really clear proposition, whether it's a physical or a virtual or whatever you're putting on, uh, like Gareth was saying, making sure your landing page is really clear about what it is you're asking people to do and really knowing your audience and why they want to do it for you rather than for another charity and being really clear about that within those messaging to make sure that you're making the most of that marketing. I like it. Love it. Good start. Sophie, tell me, what's your what's your big lesson? So big thing for us, is, I think, was retention that uh, depending on which study you believe, you know, it costs between five and 25 times as much to acquire a new supporter as it does to retain one. Um, if you get your stewardship right, if you get your communications right, you build up that trust, you make it super personal, you are much more likely to retain people. We managed to retain 90% um, of our supporters on our multi-day events um, from one year to the next. Wow. All of our multi-day events next year are sold out because we've managed to retain people. That is going to save you so much more headache of marketing down the line. So if there's one thing you focus on, make it stewardship and your relationships with your, your your participants love it this is this is gold now i'm sorry gareth and john this is tough <laughs> these are tough acts to follow gareth tell me what are you what's your what's so, your parting words so the biggest thing for me that has facilitated getting us to where we got to and it's a boring one but it's really important it's just a single source of truth with all stakeholders whether it's performance whether it's targets whether it's costs everything else if you're working with multiple people and they've got different views about what's happening, it is incredibly difficult to move anything forward or be agile and change what you're doing. So looking at a single source of truth across the piece speeds up business, speeds up decision making and speeds up planning. So if there's anything else, I've, they even bought me a mug with single source of truth written on it <laughs> right the way throughout the piece we had visibility of where we are and therefore what does it mean and it makes life an awful lot easier going forward and for an industry i think it, historically it's been a challenge to get a clear view about what's happening love it very good and john the man with the final words tell us oh, geez, no pressure there um <laughs> better be good i think the thing that yeah well i'll disappoint you early don't worry um I think the thing for me that I would take from it from this year and last is that is that that change brings kind of some opportunity. I think when we started this, everyone thought, well, this, this isn't going to work. These are the assumptions, Gareth, you talked about. These are the assumptions that we made. That it'll be the same audience that will cannibalise. And actually, it wasn't. And I think we've talked a bit about how change has cleared the field a little bit. And it's meant that people who are agile, who are able to take risks, can get ahead of the game. They can create that space and kind of get get something new to market and succeed and we've i think susie mentioned as well how the market is becoming is becoming more credit there's loads of things going on so i think it's those kind of people who can be quick can take those risks and spot the opportunities that are going to be the ones that develop new things and new ways of thinking that, that are going to be the ones that kind of cut through and really succeed uh, next year awesome 
Very good. Yeah. And we're going to, we've got a session later with Tori Arthurs where we're going to talk, be talking about reacting to the media as well and staying on top of that stuff. Because I think that is important is, is not trying to corral supporters into where you want them, but actually working with what they actually want and, and kind of just being ready to move and ready to adapt. So that's great. Four great wrap ups, great sound bites there that I'm definitely going to pull out. John, John just before I say goodbye to all of you, this, this virtual fundraising monitor, I believe the next one is coming out next month. Is that right? Yes, should be out. There you go. Now pressure. Now we're saying it should be out first or second week of, of December. We'll say second week. Just uh, to be safe, second right? week of December. Uh, we'll we'll push that, but it's available mm -hmm. from our, our kind of website as usual. Just free to download. Share with whoever you can, wherever you can. And what what is your website? Uh, it's a good question. Should know this one. Uh, it is uh, wearemassive.co.uk. We are massive.co.uk. Very good. Yeah. And I do recommend anyone watching this do get that report. It is free and it just gives you a bit of insight into what's going on and some really good stuff in there. So that's great. Listen, everyone, thank you so much. I'm glad you're all doing okay and happy and healthy or happy enough and healthy enough um, with everything going on. And I really, really appreciate your time in such a busy time. Um, but that was fantastic. So thank you all very much to all of you and best of luck uh, coming into 2022. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Fundraising everywhere. Fundraising everywhere. Fundraising everywhere. Fundraising everywhere.